All right, so we are starting a new sermon series today entitled The People of God. And I am so excited about um, the journey we're about to take together in the next couple of months. What we're going to do is we're going to walk through uh, the Old Testament um, looking at these specific characters that God has chosen to include in his story. We're going to be asking the question, why were these people chosen? What is it about them that would cause God to want to include their story in his story? And uh, more importantly, my hope is that we understand better our own part in God's story through this journey. But before we start today, we're going we're gonna to be in Genesis um, if you want to go ahead and just flip open to somewhere in Genesis, we'll hit 15 and then Genesis 5. And then we're going to end up in Romans 5 at the end. Um, but as, as you turn there, I want you to think about this phrase we use in our culture today, my people. Now, you may have never said that, but you've heard it, right? They are my people. Those are my people. What do we mean when someone calls a group of people their people, right? We, what we mean is this. We mean that I like them. Um, on some level, I agree with them or I align with them. Um, maybe I align with their morality or their ethics or something about them I like. And, and ultimately, I don't mind being associated with them. And I don't mind them being associated with me. And the way we phrase that is we say, they are my people. Well, today I want to start with this question. What does it mean for God to say that? For God to look on humanity and say, they are my people. What is it about the people of God that compels God to call us his own, to call us his people? Well, we're going to journey through uh, the Old Testament together, starting with Adam uh, today and looking at what it means. Now, to start with, I want to go to uh, Genesis chapter 15. I want to just read a couple verses with you, this description that, that God gives to Abraham about his people. Because see, in Genesis 12, God comes to Abraham and he calls him to pack up his stuff, leave his father's household in his country, take his family and his belongings and go on a journey. And ultimately, God makes a promise to Abraham that he's gonna have children and God's gonna bless his children and that ultimately God's gonna call the descendants of Abraham his people. When we get to Genesis chapter 15, and, and God invites Abraham to come outside at night. I don't know if you live far enough out in the country to go outside at night and look up and see something, but this is where Abraham is. God invites him outside in verse 5, and he brought him outside, and he said, look toward the heavens and number the stars if you are able to number them. And then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. So God's saying, hey, Abraham, come outside with me for a minute. I want you to look at something. Yeah, God, what is it? Look up. See all those stars? Those are your descendants. Those are my people. And then he, in verse 6, says this about Abraham. Excuse me, about uh, Abraham. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. And we're going to come back to that verse at the very end today. What did God mean when he looked down at Abraham and Abraham believed God and God counted Abraham as righteous? Now we're going to back up to Adam. We're going to see what Adam has to do with the overall story of God. We know he was the first one created, but, but what does Adam and Eve, what do they have to do with you? Like, how are you connected to them? So we know in Genesis 1, God is creating all these things, right? 
And at the height of creation, he creates Adam and Eve, and he sets them apart. Something about them would be distinctly different from everything else that God created, namely that they would be image bearers. Now, everything God created, right, in some way points to him, right? You can look at nature, you can look at biology and chemistry and astronomy, and all these things declare that, that there is an intelligent creator who's orchestrating the universe, but something about you and I, right, is set apart in that we bear God's image in a very distinct way, which we're going to get to in, in just a few minutes. What I want you to see is that this image-bearing quality that God put into Adam and Eve has also been put into you. Look at Genesis 5 with me for just a minute, starting in verse 1. Genesis 5, verse 1, we read, this is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them. And he blessed them and named them man or mankind when they were created. Look at verse 3. And Adam had lived, when Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness, after his image, and named him Seth. Now, that's a really important verse in the Bible. It tells me a lot about you. Because here's what we just learned. Adam and Eve were created in God's image, right? No question about that. But now what we're seeing as we, we go through the genealogy of Adam and Eve is that Adam passed on that image to his children. And, and, and their, his, his children passed that on to their children. And so every generation after Adam and Eve, right, has been handed down this image-bearing quality. So you are an image-bearer. It was passed on to you. In some distinct way, God has put something in you that the rest of creation can't do. So we'll talk through that more in just a moment. But So what we're going to see today is that more than just the first human beings, Adam and Eve really were a pattern of what was to come, or what's called a type, right? Which means there's something about Adam and Eve that is the same about you. Now, I look around the room. There's a lot of variation in the room, right? So the people and the descendants who would come after Adam and Eve would vary in size and, and color and, and intellect and physical ability and but there's something that we all have. I mean, I know we all have skin, but, but surely he means more than that, right? And so we see that the people who would come after Adam would continue bearing the image of God. So what we're going to do as we walk through this sermon series and we look at each character, really, that's what we're going to be looking at. What did Abraham inherit from Adam? What did Moses inherit from Abraham? What did David inherit from Moses and so on and so forth all the way to your life here today? What does it mean to be an image bearer? Now we're going to go to Romans chapter 5. So one of the things that I, is, I learned about the Bible that's so helpful, I don't know if you ever read things in the Old Testament and you're not quite sure how they fit into the story, what they mean, what it's supposed to mean for my life. Well, the New Testament is really good at adding commentary or explanation to the Old Testament and, and helping us to understand what those stories have to do with our stories. 
And so in Romans chapter five, the apostle Paul is writing to the church and he's gonna explain Adam. And he's gonna tell them what Adam has to do with them. And so in Romans chapter five, we're gonna pick this up in verse 12 and we'll be in Romans five for the rest of the morning. Starting in verse 12, Paul writes, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin. That's a pretty big verse. There's a lot packed into that. Here's what Paul is telling us, that sin came into the world through one man. Who was that? Adam, right? We know the story. God put Adam and Eve in the garden, told Adam, don't eat from this tree. Don't rebel against me. Don't break my law. Because if you do, you will surely die. When sin enters into my creation, right, along with it comes death. And so we know, chapter 3 in Genesis, what did Adam and Eve do? They rebelled against God, they broke his law, sin entered the story, and so did death. But something happened in that moment to the image of God in Adam and in Eve. In that moment, it became distorted. So originally, you were supposed to be able to look at people like you and me and see who God is in your character, in your values, in the things you love, in the things you hate, that in you, there's a reflection of who God is. Well, as soon as Adam and Eve sinned and rebelled against God, that got distorted. Now, you still see a reflection, but it's not a very accurate reflection of who God is. Amen? You with me? And so as Adam passed on that image to Seth, he passed on a distorted image of God. And so Seth passed that on to his children and their children, and that has been passed on to you and to me. This is what Paul is getting at. In the same way that sin, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin. Now, this is what I like to call the not-so-good news of the gospel. He goes on to say in verse 13, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, right? So what Paul is pointing out is what we just said. Adam passed that on to his son, passed it on to his son. And so, right, so if you, if you continue reading chapter five in Genesis, you're gonna, you're gonna see the connection between Adam and Noah. Then after the flood, you're gonna see the connection between Noah and Abraham, you're going to see the genealogy there. And then as you go through the book of Genesis, you're going to connect the genealogy of Abraham to Moses. And with each generation was passed this distorted image of God. Sin and death, the curse of sin and death was passed on to every subsequent generation. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses. And listen, even to those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type, that's the pattern word, a type of the one who was to come. Now, we're starting off with some pretty bad news, aren't we? You're an image bearer, but apart from the miraculous work of God's redemption in your life, you portray, you reflect, you project a distorted image of God. Unless God does something to restore that in us, people are going to look at you and they're not going to see who God is. People are going to look at me, and they're not going to see who God is. Now, it's hard to see, and it's kind of subtle, but the end of verse 14, embedded in that verse, is some really good news. Let me just read that last phrase again. So, 
So death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. So we all know that after Adam, we all, the many, look a whole lot like Adam. But Paul's beginning to hint that there would be another one who comes who would be different. That very similar to what happened through Adam will be done through another one man. And so now we begin to ask the question, who is he talking about? Well, let's talk for a minute about image bearing. Okay, what does it mean that we are image bearers rather than just reflections of creation? So you have volition, okay? That means you have a will. You have desires and preferences, okay? It's a certain way you like the world to work, okay? So that sets you apart from creation. You also have a moral compass. Now, it may not be God's moral compass, but you have one. There are things that seem right to you, and there are things that seem wrong to you. We've talked about this before. Your puppy does not have that moral compass, right? Your dog doesn't come to you and, and say, can we sit down and chat? I feel really bad about the day, and I've just really, really been selfish, right? Why? Because your dog doesn't have a moral compass, right? You have a volition. You have a moral compass, you also have been given dominion over the earth. Adam was given dominion over the earth. What was that for? Well, remember, he's an image bearer. He's supposed to reflect the heart of a good king. And so in Adam, stewarding the earth well, you're supposed to be, see a reflection of our ultimate king. Of course, that gets distorted. And today, we either have hyper-passivity when it comes to dominion. Nobody cares about anything having to do with the earth and stewarding God's creation. Or you have hyper-dominion right? Which is reflected in relationships and our work, and, and we're just trying to have dominion over everything and to bring the universe into submission and under us. And so we see dominion has been, again, distorted. And there's this fourth quality. That's what I like to call the sub-creator quality. Did you know you're a sub-creator? This is, this is probably most vividly seen like with artists. I don't know if you're an artsy person, but you know, those who paint, those who draw, um, those who write fiction, uh, those who write songs. Like in artistry, we see creation, don't we? Uh, you also see it in those who love spreadsheets. I know it's hard to believe, but there are those people who love spreadsheets, and their spreadsheet is their art. Some of them are like, Pencil artists, it's all black and white, and some paint with highlighter. But, right, that's their art. And some of you, your art, your creation is your classroom. It's, it's the minds of your students. And others of you, it's, it's in management. It's in the way that you manage. And other of you, it's your household. But as you create in what you've been gifted and called to do, right, you're, that's meant to be a reflection of our creator. Somebody sees you creating something, it's supposed to cause them to think about your creator and to worship him. But all four of these qualities have been distorted. So now my volition, my will is bent away from God's will and bent towards what? Towards my own. You look at the story of my life, you're gonna see a whole lot of my ambition, my desires, my preferences. Because of sin has distorted that, that image-bearing quality, right? The volition, the will of my life looks a whole lot like what I want and not a whole lot like what God wants. You look at our moral compass. It's been distorted, hasn't it? Our moral compasses are calibrated by what feels good, what feels right, what seems right to man. Sin has distorted our sense of morality. 
Dominion has been distorted. Again, hyper-passivity or a hyper-sense of trying to have dominion over things. And, and then, of course, our creativity. We create oftentimes for the applause of man. We want people to look at us. And so what was embedded in humanity, the, these image-bearing traits have been distorted by sin. But, but Paul leaves us with some good news. He says, it's not the end of the story. Adam was a type of another one who was going to come. And so we pick this back up in verse 15 with the good news of the gospel. Verse 15. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. There's really important words in those verses. Free, gift, abound. But the word I want to hone in on is the word many. Remember God inviting Abraham outside and told him to look up? There were many stars in the sky. In that moment, what, what God was foretelling is that Abraham, what you're looking up and you're seeing is really the abundance of my grace. As you count, try to count the stars in the sky, you're trying to count the recipients of those who I'm going to pour out and lavish with my grace. Verse 16, the free gift is not like the result of the one man's sin. It's different. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass or sin, who's that one man? Adam. He's the one man who sinned, right? Death reigned through that one man. How much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through one man, Jesus Christ? One of the mistakes we make with the Bible is we assume that the people included in this story are supposed to be our heroes or our examples or our patterns. And the Bible talks about a pattern, but Moses isn't him. Abraham's not him. David's not him. Peter's not him. Paul's not him. What God is explicitly saying is that those who would be called my people are going to be people who are going to need something. What are they going to need? Abundant grace and the free gift of righteousness. Those are going to be my people. They aren't perfect people. They're people who are in need of redemption. People who will, will play a small part in my bigger, overwhelming redemption story. The people of the Bible are here to show us what to do with our sin, with our failures, with the fractured image of God. The people of the Bible are here to show you where to take your sin and where to find hope, where to find forgiveness, where to find peace, because every person in here except for Jesus needed it. Seriously, Jonah's not a good example. David's not the best of examples. Even the Apostle Paul, who writes most of your New Testament, in his own strength is a horrible example. 
But all these characters are pointing to one man. One man who is the hero of the story. Verse 18. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification in life for all men. So what happened through Adam and Eve, that disobedience, that rebellion, listen, it impacted everybody. It impacted you. It impacted the world around us. Right, right now, if you open up a news browser on your smartphone, just read the headlines, you're going to see the evidence of sin running rampant in the world. You're going to see the evidence of the curse of sin and death. Over and over and over and over and over again. Okay? That began with Adam. The undoing of all of that, though, began through who? Through Christ. In the same way one man's action led to the condemnation for all, so one man's act of righteousness has done what? Led to the justification of all. One, one event, one action, what was that? I think there's a symbol of it behind me, even though that one looks a lot more interesting than the real cross. I think the real cross was a lot taller and a lot bloodier and just a lot more gory. But what Paul is saying is that through the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus, what was done through Adam has been undone through Christ. That's the good news. For as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Man, that's good news. Now the law came, verse 20, in to increase the trespass or increase our awareness of the trespass. But where sin increased, listen to this, grace abounded all the more. As desolate, as broken, as seemingly hopeless as the world is today, it's not hopeless, is it? Whatever the results are of sin, the results of grace are bigger, is what that's saying. Whatever the impact of the disobedience of man has had on creation, right? the impact of God's grace will abound more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So who are the people of God? They are the many sinners who have been made righteous. That's, that's what Abraham was looking at. Now think about it. Was Abraham a righteous man in his own merit and strength? You better believe he wasn't. I mean, just after God calls him in Genesis 12, you think he'd be all excited, him and Sarah traipsing through the wilderness following the will of God, and, and he begins to lie about who Sarah is because he doesn't want somebody to take his wife. He's not righteous in his own merit and strength. But let me ask you this question, and don't answer too quickly, but did God consider him as righteous? Let me, let me read it again. G Genesis 5, verse 6. He, Abraham, believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. That's the free gift of righteousness that Paul's talking about. How did Abraham get it? He believed God. What else did he do? Nothing. He believed God. He trusted God. He had faith in God. 
and his trust and his belief in who God was accredited him, what? The free gift of righteousness. I just wonder about, about you right now. Like, I want you just to, to have an honest conversation with yourself. When you hear me talking about the people of God, do you include yourself in that? Or do you picture like these super spiritual heroes in the faith, giants and biblical characters and people who have it together? And Are you counted in that? Do you consider yourself one of God's people? If not, I wonder why. Is it uh, because you don't feel worthy enough? Just wait until we get to Jacob. Is it because you don't feel faithful enough? I'm not faithful enough to God. Just wait till we get to Moses. We'll look at some of his temper tantrums. You feel like you're not a moral enough person to be considered the people of God? Oh, just wait till we get to David. You feel like you're not enough? Listen to me right here. Just wait till we get to Jesus because he's more than enough. He's more than enough. You are counted among the people of God because of what Jesus, one man, did for you through the cross. That's it. There's no other stairway to heaven. There's no other portal through which you can get in. Simply the merits of Christ and him alone. So who are the people of God? Who are the people of God here at Solid Rock? They're all over the room right now looking back at me. I ran into the people of God this last Thursday morning when I got to the office early and there were a few men who show up every Thursday morning just to pray over what God is doing in our church and pray for you. And, and I just drove in as they were wrapping up their prayer time. I encountered the people of God. I encountered the people of God in, in multiple conversations this week with an adult who's a Christ follower, who's, who knows that Christ is calling him to get baptized, but he's really scared of y'all. So it's freaking him out. He's like, I just don't know if I can do it. And he's really struggling with my fear of people seeing that. That was the people of God. Encountered the people of God in a conversation with a parent who's struggling and wrestling with, what does it look like to disciple my children? They're, they're so different. There's no one size fits all manual for raising kids, especially not discipling kids. And it was a conversation with the people of God. All across this room, I'm seeing the people of God. People who have been counted righteous as a free gift through faith in Jesus and him alone. This is our journey we're taking together as we look at these characters in the Bible and ultimately I hope that God will lead you to take a deep look at yourself. That by the time we get done, you will realize you were counted in the stars in Genesis 15. I wanna spend some time praying for you and us together today and, and as we take this journey together. And, and so I'm gonna do that now. And, and as I pray um, our worship team's gonna come up and our prayer partners, um, we're gonna hold off to the end of the service because we've actually got a baptism um, in just a moment, which I'm super excited about. Um, but I wanna pray right now about what God is speaking to you and what he's doing in your life and the work that he wants to continue as we take this journey together. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for, God, thank you for such an honest story in the Bible. God, thank you that in the Bible we see flawed <laughs> People like Adam and, and Abraham and Moses and Jacob and David and Paul and Peter. And we see all these flawed characters. 
who have been distorted and got impacted by the sin of Adam. We're so thankful that your story includes the good news of Jesus, that there actually is a hero in the story, one we can look to as the, the moral standard. So Father, right now I pray for any person here who does not know you personally, that God, today as you speak to them through your word and through God, your Holy Spirit and through baptism, that God, you would draw them to yourself. They would place their trust and their faith in Jesus and him alone. We pray this in his name. Amen.